Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is back in space, but it's complicated, and we're headed to the NFL playoffs. Executive producer Mary Lee Williams and I are talking through turnpike fees, a Pennsylvania River contest, and a few updates from recent shows. Plus, how Pittsburgh is showing up in the national press and the funniest anecdotes about a dog we've heard all year. It's Tuesday, January 9th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. Hey, Mary Lee. Hi, Megan. Do you think you've recovered from the snow yet? So I have recovered from the snow. Uh, I thawed out considerably, but (laughs) I needed to thaw because on Sunday I was out biking in the slushy, freezing, snowy, icy situation. I was with Pittsburgh Babes on bikes. Oh, that's cool. How long was the ride? It was about 10 miles. Uh, What? Oh, (laughs) I was so cold. LOL. I was about to say that was a really easy ride. (laughs) I love that for you, though. That's great. Yeah, no, it was super fun. It was a training ride for Frigid Bitch, which I have talked about on a previous Mm -hmm. episode. Uh, Yeah, it's a really cool race coming up in February. Yeah, it's February 17th. Yeah. Very cool. But yeah, I thawed out and I'm much warmer now. My toes were icicles. What about you, Megan? Did you have any snowy adventures this past weekend? Mostly just stared out the window with my new toddler, I guess. He can kind of walk, but I don't think he can walk well enough to be in snow yet. So I think we're on the precipice. I'm hoping it snows again in February. Yes, please put your baby in a snowsuit because he has a snowsuit. I got one from a thrift shop and I'm very excited to put him in it. Um, But I think I was less tweaked about the snow this week than the Steelers game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Even after winning on Saturday, it's a Saturday game. I'm still not used to those. Uh, We had to wait until Sunday to find out whether the team made the playoffs. And we did with our third string quarterback, even though the first string guy, Kenny Pickett, was healthy. So drama. So, yeah, but I guess the real question here is, are you team first string or third string, Megan? Uh, definitely third. Mason Rudolph has done so well. And even if we don't get to keep him here in Pittsburgh after this season, I'm just stoked he got a chance to prove himself. It's nice, though. We finally look like a real football team. It's probably too late to matter this season because now we're going to play Buffalo this coming weekend and they're really, really good. But Mm. dang, it's been fun to watch. Well, I'm glad that the Steelers have been an enjoyable watch this season for you, Megan. And I'm also happy for all the other sports people because... Winning is nice. I do not have an emotional (laughs) attachment to this because I'm not really a big sports person, but I like camaraderie. So I'm 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 happy for you. I also feel like the city is just in a better mood when our teams do well, like overall. So I'm just pro winning for, you know, like city ambiance. For your sake, I wish I could say that that was all of the sports talk today, but unfortunately, there is some kind of icky stuff coming up later. But let's start in a different place. Mary Lee, what are Pittsburghers talking about this week? Well, we started the week with some really big news. Uh, We have been very engrossed over here with the drama behind Peregrine, the lunar lander made in Pittsburgh that launched Monday morning. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 
We have ignition. And liftoff of the first United Launch Alliance Vulcan rocket, launching a new era in spaceflight to the moon and beyond. Two good SRBs hitting peak pressure on the SRBs. Everything looking good. And everything did look good initially. Ugh. Yeah, so fun fact, we are recording this really late yes. for us by our standard. It is late on Monday night because the mission has felt sort of touch and go here on Earth, but we are here to share what we know right now. The rocket, its name is Vulcan. It launched off Cape Canaveral in Florida at 2.18 a.m. One of our founding members was actually there to see it and sent us pictures. It looks so surreal. Yeah, it, it's got to be really crazy to see a rocket launch because it, it kind of just feels like it's like the pinnacle of human creation. Mm -hmm. United Launch Alliance made the rockets and they're the ones who actually delayed it from Christmas Eve because they needed to get through a successful dress rehearsal. They've called their portion a success. The rocket fired. It went into space very, very fast. Uh, then it separated and fell away like it was supposed to. And the rest of it was up to the lunar lander that's still heading towards the moon, which is Peregrine. Yeah, Peregrine was made here in Pittsburgh by a company called Astrobotic. You've heard us talk about that before. Initially, I guess it all looked good, but within a few hours, scientists reported it was having trouble getting enough sun to power its solar panels, which scientists were able to solve. But in the process, they found what they're calling a, quote, anomaly with its propulsion system. So by early afternoon, Astrobotic said in a statement on X that they were trying to stabilize a loss of propellant and would be prioritizing any science and data that they were still able to capture. And just like a, a quick reminder, in case people are not aware of this, uh, there are not people on board. It's right. just like things, sciencey things. Really, really expensive sciencey things, and and some not sciencey things, but it, it's just things on board. But it's been a roller coaster mm -hmm. for them and for us, yeah. to be quite honest. Uh, the last update we saw was a few hours ago at about four thirty, and it did include a picture, which was nice. I couldn't actually tell what I was looking at, if I'm going to be honest. I don't know. I just like pictures. Fair enough. But Astrobotic also said that at that point. The majority of their mission team had been awake and working for over 24 hours. Oh, my God. And, yeah. And with the solar panels working, Peregrine had a full battery and was using its, quote, existing power to perform as many payload operations as possible. And payload is just a fancy word for the things on board Peregrine, some of which I guess they can carry out their functions now. I haven't seen a full listing of the various payloads on board or their roles, and I probably wouldn't understand it anyway. I'm definitely not a rocket scientist. Uh, but one of them, one of the payloads is called Iris. Iris is this little shoebox-sized rover made by Carnegie Mellon that was supposed to get released onto the moon's surface whenever it landed. So its first order of business was going to be to snap a photo for you, Mary Lee, Yay. of Peregrine safely landed on the moon's surface and send it back to Earth. 
that original landing date was going to be February 23rd, of course, an estimate. But I don't know, Mary Lee, it seems dicey at this point. Did you see like NASA tweeted earlier that each mission is an opportunity to learn, which to me reads as like really big, good try energy. Yeah, I saw that tweet and I was like, yikes. And if you want to follow along with any of this, um, Astrobotics Twitter feed is where they've been posting all of their updates. Yes. So if you're listening to this after it's published, definitely check it out. See if they posted anything new. Yes. And if you want to experience like the launch, there's a two hour launch video on YouTube. And that's where we got the sound we played. It actually shows the rocket breaking apart in those first few minutes. It's really cool. And if you want to learn more about Pittsburgh's role in space exploration, you can stick here with us at CityCast. We did a podcast about it last month. It was researched tirelessly by producer Sophia Lowe, and it explains our whole history with the Apollo missions back in the 60s and our future with the development of a new space district planned for the north side right next to Astrobotic. Yeah, that episode was very good. Uh, Would definitely recommend listening to it. And what about you, Megan? What have you seen people talking about? Yeah, so the Pennsylvania Turnpike tolls just went up again. I like that we went from transit in space now to transit on the ground. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, this is very important, and a lot of people are very obviously invested in this. So according Mm -hmm. to reporting from the Pittsburgh Union Progress, or the POP, as a lot of people call it, this is the 16th year in a row that the state's Turnpike Commission raise the rates. This streak of rate hikes is now a teenager and clearly needs a sweet 16 thrown for it. I guess. I I hate that it's been going on this long. I mean, it's kind of wild to think that something's been going on for 16 years, but uh, this is a 5% increase that went into effect on Sunday. And it's not like it's that much money. On the average, it's about 10 cents for people with an easy pass and like 30 cents-ish for pay-by-plate, which is what happens if you don't have that easy pass system in your car. Yeah. When I was on a trip to D.C. recently, I looked up how the turnpike calculates toll costs because Mm -hmm. I am a nerd. Um, And it's based on three factors. So it's distance traveled, what kind of vehicle you have, and the payment method. Wait a second. Like, what kind of vehicle do you mean, like... Like if it's a car versus yeah, like, like an 18-wheeler? Uh, <laughs> They're not distinguishing between someone's Hyundai and someone's Toyota, right? No, no. I, I think it's like <laughs> class of vehicle. So like passenger, commercial, like, you know. That makes sense. If I can give any advice on this podcast, and I have given a lot recently, get an easy pass. They're very useful. Uh, it comes in handy. And also the price differential between uh, pay-by-plate and uh, easy pass it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, co-signed. It took me a very long time to commit to Easy Pass because I just hated the concept of turnpikes and toll roads generally, but I have come around. They are worth it. 100%. Also, um, we'll link this pup story by Ed Blazina in our show notes because Ed did an interview with the turnpike's chief financial officer. And TLDR, the raise comes down to long-term debt. Yeah, more than $15 billion. And I think that's just the debt part. I cannot conceptualize a number that big. I don't think anybody can. Like 15 billion, that's just like, what what is that what does it mean? And how do you get that deep in debt? I mean, I do understand it. And Blazina has done a very good job over time of explaining it, but it's still like wild to me that they could get that behind on anything. <laughs> I mean, it's it's always worth following Blazina. I think that the turn by commission is like that he covers it the best. 
Yeah, he does a great job. Um, but that also means that rate increases are continuing. They're projected through 2050 and could get extended from there. Um, who knows, Mary Lee, to continue your joke, maybe the fee increase will hit retirement age right alongside us. We'll throw it a retirement party. Hey, Pittsburgh. Behind those stately red doors on Bingham Street, the brilliant minds at Pittsburgh's City Theater have a brand new stage show for you. It's a modern revamp of the Shakespearean classic Hamlet. Fat Ham follows a young queer black man named Juicy, whose father visits from beyond the grave to demand Juicy avenge his murder. Check it out through March 24th and get your tickets at citytheatercompany.org. Use code CITYCAST, all one word, for $5 off. Before we jump back in, we are looking for recommendations for the best mocktail you've had in Pittsburgh. You may have heard us talking about this, but some of the team is doing dry January and the rest of us just like really tasty things. So please get in our DMs. We're at CityCastPGH on Instagram, or you can text us or leave a voicemail at 412-212-8893. If you want to be credited, please leave your name and your neighborhood, township, borough, whatever you claim. Again, that is your favorite mocktail in Pittsburgh. Let us know on Instagram or call or text us. That's 412-212-8893. Back to the news. Mary Lee, let's talk about something fun. Yes. So if you like picking favorites, you have a little time left to vote for Pennsylvania's 2024 River of the Year. Yes, this is an award that is given (laughs) in the state and it is run by the Pennsylvania Organization for Watersheds and Rivers. I always like remember this around this time of year and I I don't know I'm I'm dubious because at one point I know they nominated the Monongahela the Mon here in Pittsburgh and we all know that that is pure horse hockey that is not a good river <laughs> so who is on the list this year Uh, So there are two local rivers, the Allegheny, which is the northern prong of our confluence, our triangle, and the Yockagheny, which goes through Ohio Pile State Park just east of here. Plus, they also nominated the Lackawaxen on the other side of the state. And I don't know. I don't know if that's really fair because apparently it won in 2010. I So I just pulled up that organization's website, the Pennsylvania Organization for Watersheds and Rivers. It says the Allegheny starts, quote, as a stream in Potter County meandering through a field of wildflowers, end quote, then goes through New York and back to Pennsylvania. I don't know that I associate the mighty Allegheny with Potter County, but sure, I guess it is at least the least brown river here in Pittsburgh if you're looking at it from the point. So, you know, that part's nice. I like the yak, though. I, I'm the least scared to actually get wet in that one. So I'm kind of torn. I am also torn, but I had a not great experience in the yak, whitewater rafting. I think, P- oh. I think PA Rivers just want to keep me traumatized and humbled. Uh, (laughs) This is yet another extreme activity that I am too uncoordinated for. And Megan, I I am so clumsy. (laughs) I mean, I am also clumsy, but I hold on like it's the jaws of life. Just because I'm traumatized does not mean I won't vote for a river. (laughs) So wait, which one are you voting for? I'm probably going to vote for the Allegheny, you know, hometown pride. Let's go for it. Why not? I, I, you know, (laughs) I was in it. I fell in it. I'm fine. You did fall in the Allegheny. I mean, it was close to the, to where they all meet, but I think it's that technically the Allegheny, right? I believe it was the Allegheny. 
If you have no idea what we're talking about, go back and check out our holiday episode. I think it's from December 26th. Yeah. It was a really good one. Mary Lee uh, gives a whole backstory on her feelings about the Allegheny. And falling in it. Uh, so what do we get or what does the river get if they actually win? Yeah, yeah. So the prize is $10,000, which probably isn't a whole lot in terms of like conservation, but apparently you can spend it on river of the year activities, which includes like paddling trips and the river of the year gets a commemorative poster. So (laughs) I'm voting for the Allegheny. I want to go do fun river activities that is close to home. So I'm caucusing for Allegheny. The Lackawaxen says that there's no way for people to actually enjoy it and they want to spend their $10,000 on figuring out access points. That no. seems worthwhile. I don't want to vote for the river on the other side of the state, though. Megan, I feel like you don't want to vote for any rivers. I know. I'm really dumping on them. Uh, I found it, though. The Mon was a nominee. It was last year. And obviously we didn't win. And for anyone who's listening to this and thinks maybe I'm being too harsh, that maybe the Mon cannot possibly be that bad, producer Sophia found this little nugget for you. According to Alcasan, uh, the Allegheny County Sanitary Authority, this fun thing can happen in our rivers called a combined sewer overflow, which occurs when stormwater and untreated diluted sewage carried in a single pipe overload the sewer system and flow into the rivers and streams. Sewage. Woof. That uh, that's stressful. (laughs) So if you're ever curious about whether there's currently a sewer overflow in our rivers, you can sign up for an alert through Alcasan. They'll let you know. Yeah. If you're somebody that likes to kayak or maybe even swim in the rivers. uh, Paddleboard. This alert is probably very useful just so you know where to avoid if you want to get out on the water. And before we go, we wanted to flag a couple national stories with some local connections. Yeah. Also, one local story that got a lot of eyeballs. (laughs) I'm so excited. First up, Mary Lee, you and I talked a little bit about this, um, I guess, late last week, that Mm -hmm. Harvard president who resigned, Claudine Gay, um, one of the people that she was accused of plagiarizing was a Pitt professor um, from a paper he wrote in 1992. The New York Times described it as copying language with slight modifications. Yeah, I hadn't seen this before you flagged it. And so I guess I'm just curious, like, how did this Pitt professor feel about it? So his name is George Reed Andrews. He still teaches history there now. He told local media that he reviewed Dr. Gay's work and that, yes, she may have borrowed a few phrases, but that it happens fairly often in academic writing. And for him, at least, it did not rise to the level of plagiarism. And I'm sure he's got lots of experience determining what is and is not plagiarism. He said in a statement, quote, I am glad she read my work, learned from it and recommended it to her readers, end quote. Oh, so she like she did recommend something. Yeah, in the paper, she neglected to cite his paper that these phrases were allegedly borrowed from. I guess they'd both written about race in Brazil, but she did suggest a book of his as further reading in it. Huh. You know, I'm not like super familiar with how academia, this kind of realm of research works, but like it, it does make sense if you're covering like similar research areas, there's a possibility for a lot of overlap. For example, if like a bunch of journalism orgs are at a press conference, right? Like, Mm -hmm. 
there's there's going to be and like there's like a press pool. There's going to be a lot of overlap there, particularly to me, like the person whose work it originated from. Like if they're not bothered, that's kind of my final word on it. Um, to be clear, she is still teaching at Harvard. She's just not in charge anymore because she has tenure. Um, and there were other accusations of plagiarism beyond this one. But this is the one that touched in Pittsburgh. So, you know, Actually, this conversation is reminding me of this uh, super interesting piece I saw in Politico, and we'll make sure that we link it in the show notes. But it does talk about Dr. Gay's resignation, and it's an interview with a person who is maybe the loudest to call for this resignation. His name is Christopher Rufo, and he's one of the people who made these concerns about critical race theory a part of Republican platforms. And one thing it really made me curious about is what this could mean for other big universities and like college cities like Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I mean, they're not Ivy League, but they're Ivy adjacent, I think, is how I hear people talk about Pitt. So like it definitely resonates in a place like this. I'll look forward to reading that. We also have CMU. So like it's interesting to see how this is going to play out or could play out with what we have in Pittsburgh. So it'll be in the show notes. So Megan, what else do you have? Yeah, so this one is sort of bad news, but it seems like some folks in the know were kind of expecting to see it. Mm. Um, A content warning here, friends. Uh, We'll be talking about someone accused of sex trafficking, not the crimes, just the person. So skip ahead a couple of minutes if you don't want that in your ears. Mm -hmm. A Penguin's minority owner was included in the list of names unsealed this past week in a lawsuit involving Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, I remember following the Epstein saga in 2019 when he was arrested and then his death. It, I mean, the story really obviously caught the nation by storm and it seems like now it's all back again. Yeah, I mean, so even though Epstein died by suicide a few years ago, it's just, I think, 30-something days after he was arrested, um, various lawsuits are still moving through the courts and have been for years and years, um, long preceding his death. Last week, we got a few new insights into some of the folks that had been traveling with him and gotten to know him. Included in those unsealed names was Ron Burkle. Now, today he does not play a big role with the hockey team, but boy, he sure used to. I actually don't know who Ron Burkle is, and so I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> that does Megan, not surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hoping you can explain it for me <laughs> and all the other yes. listeners who maybe don't know who Ron Burkle is. Yes, yes. Uh, if you are a Pens person, you know the name. But if you are not, that is fine. Um, he was the majority co-owner of the Penguins alongside Mario Lemieux for over 20 years. Oh. Yes. So from 1999 to 2021, very, very recently, when the Fenway Sports Group bought the team, um, he was in charge and had a lot to say about the management and all these other things. Ooh, so he was like, he had power on the team. Yeah. Um, So all of this is coming from friend of the podcast, Rob Rossi at The Athletic. It is paywalled, but we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, Rob reports that Burkle has made himself pretty scarce since the deal went through with Fenway. $950 million, by the way. A lot of money. Um, So much money. He still owns a fraction of 1%, according to Rossi, of the team, um, but he isn't involved in club operations anymore. His main gig now, other than being extravagantly wealthy, he's worth an estimated $3 billion, is owning a pro soccer team out in California where he lives, the San Diego Wave. But, But like, just to be clear, like almost everyone else listed in this lawsuit, he's not like accused of anything. 
Correct. Um, there are a lot of famous people on this list. We'll share a full list in our show notes, but it's more of an association thing. Like you were cool hanging with Epstein. Does that mean that you condoned his behavior? What did you know? You know? Oh, so it's just like it opens the doors to a lot of questions. Yeah, which I think has been the case for pretty much everyone on this list and previous lists that have been reported. Mm -hmm. At least as of this recording, um, the Penguins haven't responded to any of this and neither is Burkle. So, yeah, we'll just have to keep our eyes peeled. Last up, my least favorite story all week. Mary Lee, I know you're very, very excited. I was excited about this only because I feel like I deeply resonate with this story. So, like, I feel seen uh, mildly. But um, this is one story that went pretty viral. A Pittsburgh dog ate a whole bunch of cash. Uh, the family left an envelope of $4,000 out, and their pup Cecil went to town, I guess. Uh, apparently, he only consumed about half of it, and the rest he, like, chewed up or something. So they had to comb through some of the waste. Uh, but before anyone has a heart attack... If you haven't already, just from hearing this story, apparently most of the money was recovered. Yeah, I have seen this, I guess, first in City Paper, then the TV stations, Inside Edition, the Washington Post had it over the weekend. It seems like the whole narrative of the thing grows with every retelling. This story really resonated with me because I have two cats that will eat anything. Megan, I'm sure you remember the day my cat ate Christmas lights. Yes, Mary Lee and I were acquainted well before our positions here. Seemed like a bad day for you. It was a very bad day. My dumb little orange boy ate some Christmas lights and we had to take him to the emergency vet. He was fine. He just had an upset belly <laughs> and a very expensive vet bill. You've mentioned several times, though, that your cats have eaten a lot of weird things. Yeah, they do. Uh, one of my cats really likes to chew slash eat rubber. I, I cannot figure it out. Uh, but Megan, this made me curious because I know that you have a friend who is a vet. And so I asked you to be a little nebby. Nebbiness is a specialty of mine. Um, I will not blow up her spot on here, but I did ask her if any other instances of animals eating weird things came immediately to mind. Um, and first of all, she did co-sign that money is a very big draw for some pets. Really? Um, yeah. So I don't, she did not go into detail and I didn't ask. So like, why money? I mean, maybe it's a smell. I don't know. Some other fun examples included a dog that ate one of those cat toys that makes bird sounds. LOL. And it was still tweeting when the dog threw it up. So made to last. <laughs> and a pair of small dogs, lap sharks, a few weeks ago that came in drunk. I guess they had gotten into their owner's wine. I, I This just really, it gives me life. I don't know why. I just love hearing about pets <laughs> eating funny things. I think it's because I live this life and I'm just like, man, me too. I've been there. <laughs> Well, if you want to continue to bring joy to Mary Lee's life, uh, you can let us know if your pets ever ate anything weird. Yes, please do. I would love that. Uh, once again, text or leave us a voicemail. It's 412-212-8893. And don't forget your name and neighborhood. Yes, please do. Uh, bring joy to my life. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you want to see photos from the Peregrine launch, make sure you're subscribed to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We will also link to the YouTube video there too. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. This is a whole...
Yeah, this is a whole collection of hangers in case somebody comes over and has a hundred jackets they need to hang. 